You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. Bibles this morning, I invite you to pull them out of your phone or whatever you use and turn with me to the book of James. Today, we're going to be kicking off a new series in one of my favorite books, the book of James in the New Testament. And as we begin, as we look at the study, we discover one of the keys in living our Christian life and really just in living life is that real faith in God will result in real works, action. Do you believe that this morning? That if we really believe who God is and God is alive in us by faith, there's going to be some fruit in that. And when you look through the New Testament, especially the book of James, you see this theme put over and over again. And even as a fully devoted follower of Christ, that if we are living out that Christian life, there's going to be some fruit in our life. How do you know an apple tree is an apple tree? It has apples. It wasn't a trick question, right? We're, We're the apple state, aren't we, right? You know a lemon tree because it has lemons. God didn't make us to be engineered ornamental trees that only have just the blossoms and maybe some fruit that might taste good, okay? God has made us to produce fruit. And oftentimes, this fruit comes out through testing. And Jesus even said this as he was going through. He was talking about in Matthew 7, he said, You will know them by their fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. Now, as we look at this, is Jesus talking about perfection? No, he's not talking about perfection. He's not saying you have to be perfect. But he's saying that if you are alive in me, if I am in you, you will bear fruit. And really throughout my life, this has been one of the biggest challenges as it relates to Christianity. And I think especially when you're younger, when you're teenagers, I think growing up in the church and you're growing up in this Christian context, that sometimes one of the most confusing things that can happen is when you watch people that profess to believe in Jesus Christ, but there's this lack of evidence. Have you ever experienced that? And you try to explain it, and you say, God, what is going on? And then you begin to look at your own life and say, God, what is happening in my life? Do I really know you? Am I alive in you? And what James is saying here is he's saying, he's putting out a warning to us, that he's saying that if your faith is not put into practice, if the gospel is not alive in you, if the gospel costs you nothing, That faith without works is dead. There's death. You either you use it or you lose it. Or as one professor talked to me about in grad school, he said, Dwayne, he said, what I've found is that knowledge that is not applied diminishes in value. Have you ever experienced that? Because it's not about having knowledge, is it? We are in the information age. We have everything at our fingertips right now. You can even see what your friends are doing if you go on Facebook. There's so much going on. So it's not more knowledge that we need, it's putting it into practice. And James keeps coming back and says that faith without works is dead. So how is faith kept alive? It's kept alive through testing. And as some of you head into spring break this week, how many of you are saying, thank God, there's no more tests, at least for a week, okay? But our faith comes alive in us as we are tested. This is the growth cycle of learning. Growth and development means that we are taught and then we are tested. And then we're often we're retaught and we're tested again and we're taught. And as we go through, we go through and get those areas that we missed. But we only know that we miss them if we are tested. And oftentimes we expect this testing when we go to school Because we know that good education means we need to have good tests to see how we're doing. 
But often when we come into our life and as we enter into relationships and as it relates to things like love and, and work, when we experience these tests, we're often surprised by it. But we need to walk into, especially our spiritual life, the thing that lasts forever and say, God, as it relates to testing, help me to receive it. Help me to walk in this. Let my faith be tested so that I will grow in you. So this is our focus as we look at the book of James because the question is not, are you going to be tested? How many of you are being tested right now? You're going through a time. So the question isn't, are we going to be tested? The question is, how are we going to be responding to these tests? To these tests. So we're going to start with the book of James, looking at chapter 1. Just a few quick facts on James as we look at this, as we look at the author. A couple of things. First of all, James was the brother of Jesus. How would you like to be the brother of Jesus? Right? James is the brother of Jesus, but a lot of people don't know that James, growing up, he didn't believe himself, many theologians believe, that Jesus was the Messiah. Right? Sometimes siblings, you're like, my brother, the Messiah? Come on. He walked on water, but big deal. James, as well as a lot of his other siblings, didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah until after Jesus resurrected. That's the power of Easter and the resurrection. That Jesus appeared to him. And James confessed, you are the Messiah. James was also the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he led them through this time of persecution. Even dispersion where they were literally having to flee for persecution. And though in our minds, in Christianity, we look at the Bible. The Apostle Paul tends to have a big voice in our hearts theologically. In that day, many theologians believe that here James actually had a louder voice even than Paul. Even than Paul. And we also know that James became a martyr for the gospel of Christ because he confessed that, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. So this is the author, an author who knows about testing, that knows what it means to put your faith in Christ. So follow with me as I read today. James chapter 1, we're focusing on verses 1 through 18. And James begins this book by saying, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. And he says, greetings, hello. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation... Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching heat and it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God had promised to those who love him. So let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself 
tempts no one. For each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to the change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. So Lord, may you bless your holy word delivered to us today as we walk in now to this new season. Lord, open our hearts, open our minds and our spirits to hear your voice. Fill us with your spirit and show us your words. We walk forward with you today in every situation. Everyone said together, amen, amen. So as we look at this first book, as James starts off, we're going to look at three key things today. The first thing we're going to look at is joy. Everyone say joy. That's a good one, isn't it? And then faith. And then the truth. Truth, there you go. (laughs) Joy, faith, and truth as we look at this. So James starts off by saying, Dear brothers, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, does that sound weird to you? You're going through a hard time and someone says, This is awesome. Count it all as joy. It's going to be incredible. And bear in mind that when James is saying this, he's saying this to the persecuted church, to those who have made great sacrifice in their own lives for following Christ. People who are being attacked. And he's not looking at them saying, hey, I'm sorry you're being attacked. He's not looking at them and saying, how unfair that you're going through time. But he's saying, consider it all joy. Now, in order for us to understand what James is talking about, we need to understand the meaning of joy. So what is joy? It isn't just a feeling. We're not hooked on a feeling, are we? Right? It isn't just a feeling. James is connecting joy with suffering. And if it was just a feeling, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't walk into a new relationship and say, this is going to be an awesome relationship because we're going to suffer. We're going to have hard times together. That doesn't make a good first date. Doesn't make a good first anything. Okay? Welcome to this meal. You're going to suffer. It's going to be awesome. If it were just a feeling, James, he wouldn't be connecting it with suffer because no one enjoys suffering. No one even enjoys discipline at the time. But see, James is saying that joy is a choice to choose the right perspective. Let me say that again. Joy is a choice to choose the right perspective. And that right perspective, it's hope with purpose. Hope with purpose. Now, let me start off by saying James is not saying that when someone's going through suffering and they walk up to you and say, I have a hard time. He's not saying, just look at them and say, consider it all joy. When someone's bearing their heart to you and they're saying, I've had a tough week. My boss is being tough on me or this is going on or this is falling apart. He's not saying to flippantly say, hey, it's going to be okay. You know, it made me kind of think about in my life, one of the trials that I go through is I am really prone to bang my head on things. No joke. No joke. I will hit my head on everything. My garage door, it seems like every time I go in, it's a low garage. I'm smacking my head on it. If I pick something off the floor, I'll bang my head and I'll go, ow. And one of my sons, Riley, walking in, seeing me in pain, know what he says to me? No pain, no gain, dad. No pain, no gain. So that's good for you. I asked his permission if I could say it. He probably said, yes, I'm proud of that. So, no pain, no gain. That's not the time we look at somebody and say, 
big deal. And we get that from Jesus. How did Jesus respond? When Jesus, being approached by Mary and Martha as they told him about the death of Lazarus. Jesus, knowing fully what was about to happen, he knew that he was about to resurrect Lazarus. What did he say? He wept with them. He mourned with them. This was his friend, Lazarus. He could have said, count it all joy, but the first thing he did is he wept with them. And we are commanded to mourn with hope, knowing that God is in control. But we mourn with them. But see, joy... It comes to us, not by flippantly just flipping a switch, but it comes by choosing to put our faith in the sovereignty of God. What does sovereignty mean? Sovereignty in God means that God is in control of everything, that God knows everything, that there is a purpose to this that is unseen. Theologian David Platt points out that consider great joy is actually, it's a command. It's an imperative. It's a verb that addresses how we think. So James is saying to have this renewed mind and to choose joy in this. But in order to have this perspective, joy in pain requires great faith. Great faith. What is faith? If you've read Hebrews 11, you know that faith is the substance of things hoped for. Right? Faith is a substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not yet seen. Do you hear the power in faith? Faith is actually substance of things that we hope for. And it's the actual evidence of things not seen. This is what faith is. See, facts are good. You need to use your mind. God gave you a mind. You need to study to show yourself approved. I'm quoting scriptures here. God gave us a mind to use, study, go to school, whatever you're doing, YouTube University, go and study and find it out. Because see, facts, the good thing about facts and information is that they can get you headed in the right way. They can point you the right way, but facts by themselves will only get you so far. And that's a challenge for the age that we are in. In this information age, it's a challenge for us because information is at our fingertips. We can go on the internet and get all kinds of information. We can get all kinds of misinformation. We can get all kinds of opinions going on. But there's a big challenge to this. Julian Birkinshaw from the London Business School has pointed out many challenges to the information age, but two of the challenges that he has pointed out are this. He says that, that there are those, as a result of all this information, experience what he calls paralysis through analysis. Think about that. Paralysis through analysis. What that means is that through the process of analysis, there's so much information that there are those that actually get paralyzed where there's so much information that they feel like they can't make an, inf- make an informed decision. Have you ever been there? You get all this information, and you're like, but there must be more. I need more information to make a decision. And instead of making a decision, you actually get paralyzed. I've been there. I've been there. Paralysis through analysis. That's one extreme. On the other extreme, there are those who learn a little bit of information on a very complicated issue, and they announce themselves as, I'm now an expert. <laughs> I can make every decision. One of the biggest things that, at biggest industries that face this is in the medical field where doctors face patients and they walk in and go, I know what's wrong. I have this. I went to WebMD. I know what's wrong with me. Sometimes it can be good, but just because I spent five minutes on M- WebMD, am I ready to give you a full analysis on your problem? No. 
okay? I am not a medical doctor. I didn't go to school. I didn't study for that. And we have these two things where either we have so much information we feel like we can't make a decision or we study just a little bit and now we feel that we're experts. And the challenge in this information age is we often wash that over into our own spiritual lives to where sometimes we face God and we're like, I just need more information. I need more proof. And again, hear me, facts are good. Study it. You will find God in that. But sometimes it comes to a point where it's like, there's never enough. I want more, I want more, I want more. And God's saying, what more do I need to do? Creation testifies to who I am. The Bible tells us that there's no excuse for not knowing God because he has revealed himself to us. But then there are some times where we get a little bit of information or we'll cherry pick a verse and we'll think that we're experts and we'll get to, even get to the point of where I am God. I don't need God. I know how everything works. I've got to figure it out. See, this is why faith is so important. Because faith humbles us to realize that he is God. I am not. God is sovereign over all things. And this perspective, faith, it enables us from looking at a problem to look through the problem and to see God. Have you ever faced problems where you're like, this is just too big. I don't understand it. There's no purpose. I have. And I will continue to do that. But it's in these moments that my faith needs to rise up. I need to see God, but to do that, I need to be able to look through the problem so that I can see God through this because God is the possessor of the desired outcome. He's the possessor of the purpose and the reason and the benefit. That's why it says in Hebrews that it's only by faith that we know God and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Do you see the power of faith today? Right? You gotta have faith. We need faith. See, feelings are good. I like feelings, I like the good feelings, <laughs> say it that way. Feelings can be good. They can be a good companion, but feelings are a terrible master. So I'm not saying today, suppress every feeling. I love seeing great artistry. I love walking into the museums. I'm a personal fan of Van Gogh. I love Van Gogh's paintings and how he did it, how he saw things. And a lot of great artistry has come out of this, but they are not what runs our life. Good companions, yes. I love the feeling that I get when my kids run up to me and say that they love me. I love it when we gather together and I feel the feeling that we come together. But see, faith goes deeper than this. Faith goes deeper than that because feelings can focus on the immediate. And my immediate can change. I can be happy one moment, sad the next. I can be hungry one minute and full the next, and then hungry again five minutes later, depending on what I had. I can feel tired one minute, and then another minute I can feel awake. These feelings come and go. But see, joy and pain requires faith because it looks to the purpose. And what's God's purpose in us? It says here in verse four, his purpose is that we would be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Every good parent wants that for their child, don't they? Perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Because again, God is out to transform us, not appease us. He sees who we were, who we are, and who we are made to be. And we don't always see that in ourselves. We don't always see that in ourselves, but God sees it. So this is why James here, he teaches that trials are actually not a problem from God, but trials are a gift from God. Merry Christmas. James teaches trials are a gift from God because they test us and they make us whole. That's the purpose in all of it. 
See, when we look at that word trial or testing, the Greek of that word, it actually means to challenge the integrity of one's faith. Let me say that again. Trials and testing, it challenges the integrity of one's faith. So why testing? We need testing because it's essential to growth. See, anything that's important, you need to test. Would you want to be able to, and be in a boat that the hull of the boat was not tested to make sure that's going to hold you up? I wouldn't. Welcome to the cruise ship. First time out, we've never tested it. We don't know if it's going to float, but come on board. The buffet lot is open. That sounds more like the Titanic, doesn't it? See, things we value, we want to test. We want the integrity to be tested. And see, in here, in this situation, when it talks about the testing of our faith, it's essential for growth because it says here that we need endurance. How many times do we fail because we don't have the endurance that's needed? How many times have I failed because I just didn't have enough endurance to get where I need it to be? Have you been there this morning? See, there are so many times that if we would just show up, I've said this to so many people as I've been coaching them and telling them, you know what, when God calls you to go somewhere, you may not feel ready, you may not feel fully prepared, but if you would just show up, see what God will do. Because who is the miracle worker, me or God? God. Who's the one who gives us strength, me or God? God. So if God calls you there and you show up, miracles happen just by being obedient that's why god says it's more important required of stewards to obey than a sacrifice because if you obey and just show up just walking out having that endurance you will be there okay so many times even in parenting i just show up and try to love my kids so many, I, I don't know what to do they have challenges they have problems sometimes i don't have the answer for it sometimes i don't have the money for it <laughs> but what do i do You show up. I'm here for you. I don't know everything, but I'm here. Let's figure this out. Let's walk in this. This requires endurance because, see, it reveals where we need help. It reveals what we don't know. And testing over time, it will bring confidence, and it will show you what you know, and also shows you who you know, which is God. And we draw closer in this. We need endurance, and that's only through testing. Remember, believe plus receive equals become. It's a part of becoming. We believe in God, but we're continually receiving, continually growing, continually being obedient to become. See, when you go to the gym in January, you're going to see a lot of happy people. They're on the treadmill going, man, I am getting it going here today. I'm going to be faithful in there. But you start going a little bit later, you're going to see a lot of sad people who are experiencing endurance. Have you ever been there? January, happy in the gym. February, it's a sad month. Because that's where they're deciding, am I going to keep working out? Am I going to do what it takes? Am I going to be willing to sweat? And the joy of the new gym clothes is worn off. The joy of the new gym membership is worn off. The joy of healthy eating, that's all worn off. I'm not trying to put guilt on you today, okay? I don't know where you are. But what I'm saying is that if you want to walk in health, it requires endurance, doesn't it? If you want to run a marathon, you need to have endurance. Walking the faith requires endurance like everything else. Like everything else. That's why James is saying that faith is needed. Faith is needed. And it says here in in, in verse 6, it says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, 
For the one who doubts is like a wave tossed on the sea and is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Keep in mind, this is the first thing that James is saying to persecuted people. Count it all joy when you go into troubles, but do it with faith without doubting. Otherwise, you're going to be tossed around. See, James is saying this because we need faith so desperately because it is the only way that we are going to go deeper. And we need to go deeper. See, without faith, we stay on the surface, which is superficial. See, when you're on the surface of the ocean, you are victim to everything that happens, every wind that happens, everything that floats along that can damage you. When we don't have faith, this is where we live. But you want to see the power of the ocean and the safety that it affords? All you have to start doing is diving deep. When a storm comes up and it's raging on the surface, the fish that are down the depths, they're not worried. They're barely even feeling it. Why? Because they've gone beyond the surface. They've gone deep into it. They're no longer vulnerable. See, when we operate just out of feelings, feelings keep us at the surface, very responsive to everything going on. But faith in trials and testing, it causes us to go deep because if we're to survive, we know that we have to go deep. We need the protection, but the protection only comes as we dig deep in this. This is why James says that the lack of faith, it causes us to become unstable and unreliable. See, faith makes us steadfast. A lack of faith, it causes us to doubt. And we know that doubt leads to fear. So the choice is, do we want faith or do we want fear? And James describes this lack of faith, this doubt, as being someone who is double-minded, double-minded. And again, when you dig into the word here, when you dig into the etymology of this, it literally means two-souled. So what James is saying is that when you doubt, when you don't have faith, it's like you have two souls. Because it refers to someone who wants both God's will as well as their own. Have you ever experienced that? Maybe I'm just preaching myself because I have. (laughs) There's times like, God, I want your will, but I really want this too. This is something that I really want. But see, this attitude, it reflects the impurity of ourselves. David Platt says that where there should be one thought in us, one goal and attitude and devotion, we find that we have these two competing thoughts going on. One of the ways that this is often illustrated is illustrated by the story of how to catch a monkey. How many came here today and said, man, I want to find out how to catch a monkey? Do you know how to catch a monkey? You take a gourd, okay, Think veggie tails. And you just kind of start to just scoop it out, but you leave a hollow opening in the, in, the, in the front of it, only big enough to get your hand in, and you fill it with rice. Then you take that gourd and you tie it to a tree. And what happens is the monkey goes up, he sees the rice, but the monkey wants rice. He reaches in and he grabs a fistful, but he has to put his hand through small. And as he makes that fist for the rice and tries to pull it out, His hand won't come out because he's holding the rice in a fist. Now, it may seem simple. All the monkey has to do to let go and to get away from that gourd that's attached to the tree is just let go of the rice and the hand will come out. But the problem is, the monkey wants the rice. So he holds on and goes, maybe I can get out of this. Maybe I can do both. But the sad reality is the the monkey doesn't let go of that rice because the monkey wants rice. 
So he holds on with a fist. Do you see what I'm saying to you today? So many times God is moving in our life, but we see something and we reach in and we grab hold and God's saying, you've got to let go of it. You want to follow me? Let go of it. But we keep holding on and we keep being trapped. But see, the the lesson in all of this is that in order to receive and to hold on to the promises of God, we need to be willing to let go of whatever is in our hands. Remember that period in prayer? Right? We put our hands over and say, God, I'm letting go of everything. Because when you look at the word of God, it is filled with promises. It is filled with truth. Massive truths. Truths that blow my mind away. But I can't keep holding on to all of this and still say, okay, God, give me what you want. No, God's saying, you need to let go of it. You need to let go of it so you can hold what I have for you. Do you want my promises? Or do you want just some rice in a gourd and be stuck to a tree for the rest of your life? But so many times it's how we act, isn't it? I got my rice, but I can't even eat it. I can't even enjoy it. This is our lesson. So the question comes to us, what am I holding on to that is not mine to carry? Where am I not trusting God? Where am I, or where am I trying to be God? We need to let go. See, this was the same faith that Jesus called for. Remember the story of Jesus when he was, he was in the boat and there's a storm raging and the boat is tossing and all the disciples are freaking out of their mind. What is Jesus doing? He's sleeping. <laughs> He's up in the boat, just asleep in the boat and everything's freaking out. And the disciples go to him and say, Jesus, what are you doing? Can you help us, Jesus? We're going to die here. What did Jesus do? He got up, he calmed the storm and he looked at him and he said, where's your faith? Did Jesus know there was a storm going on? Yes. But he looked at him and he said, where is your faith? And he did the same thing to him. The disciples were out about between three and six o'clock in the morning. And there were some waves going on. And Jesus begins to walk towards them. And some of the disciples go, is this a ghost? What's going on? This is early in the morning. But Peter looks out and he goes, I think that's Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He calls Peter out of the boat and says, Peter, come walk with me on the water. Peter gets out of the boat and he begins to walk on the water. But what happens? He begins to notice the waves around him. And immediately he begins to sink. But Jesus walks over, lifts him out and says, Peter, where is your faith? Why do you doubt? See, this is the life that the Lord is calling us on. But it requires faith. And before I go on to this final point today, I'd just like for you to take a moment and just pause and what encourage to ask yourself, just ask the Lord, Lord, what am I holding on to that is getting the way? Is there something in my hand where I'm just like that monkey holding on to a little bit of rice where you're saying, I want to fill your hands with my promises? Just take a moment to ask the Lord in this moment. Lord, what am I holding on to that I need to let go of? Ask the Lord that question. Amen. Lord, reveal to us today the things that are unimportant, the things that we are holding on to, that we need to let go of. Your word is truth. Your promises are yes and amen. Lord, give us the faith 
to let go of it, whatever it is, even good things. So then our hands can be upturned to you, empty, poor in spirit, so that we can be rich in you. And everyone said together? Amen. Amen. So this brings us to our final point today. And our final point today is a reminder of the truth of God, which the truth is God does not tempt us. God reveals himself to us. As soon as the cake came up, I heard someone say, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Pastor Dwayne may tempt you, but God does never tempt you, okay? God does not tempt us. God reveals himself to us. And a lot of times we fall in this mentality when we're going through a hard time of, God, why are you tempting me? Why are you letting this happen to me? But I want to read you this passage of James today from the message version. And here's what it says in the message. It says, don't let anyone under pressure to give in to evil say, God is trying to trip me up. See, God is impervious to evil and puts evil in no one's way. The temptation to give in to evil comes from us and only us. We have no one to blame but the leering, seducing flare-up of our own lust. See, it's like this. Lust gets pregnant and has a baby. Sin. And sin grows up to adulthood and becomes a real killer. So my dear friends, don't get thrown off course. Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. The gifts are rivers of light cascading down from the Father of light. There is no... There's nothing deceitful in God, nothing two-faced, nothing fickle. He brings us to life using the true word, showing us off as the crown of all his creatures. He's showing you off. See, when we are under pressure, when we fail, our tendency naturally is to blame. Have you ever seen that in kids, right? They walk in and something's broken on the ground. The kids will go, hey, that was me. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. They immediately got going, no, that that was him. The fingers start pointing and we do the same thing. This is our natural tendency. And when it comes to the blame list, do you know who one of the most popular people are on that? The most popular thing on the blame list is God. It was God's fault. God is trying to trip me up. If God is really in control, he would take care of this. But see, we need to understand today the truth that God never tempts us. He's impervious to evil and puts evil in no one's way in verse 13. So see, the problem is not God. The problem is us. Our goal needs to align with God's goal. It's a question of comfort versus completeness. Do we want to, if our goal is comfort, we're going to be all over the map. We're going to be all over the map. Our spending is going to be all over the map. Our relationships are going to be all over the map. Our jobs and careers are going to be all over the map if we're just going for comfort. But see, God is out to make us complete, perfect, lacking nothing. And trials cause us to know and to trust God's wisdom. And as it relates to wisdom, David Platt points out that wisdom grows in three key areas of our life. Three key areas that wisdom grows in. It grows in knowledge, perspective, and experience. Knowledge, perspective, and experience. See, when we walk through trials, we don't often have all the information. We don't have all the knowledge, do we? When we're walking through trials, we don't see our situation from every angle. We often don't have perspective on every angle to know what's going on. 
And we oftentimes lack experience in what to do in these situations. But see, God sees all these areas. He's the only possessor of all knowledge because he's omniscient. God sees it from every perspective because he's everywhere at all times. He's omnipresent. And Jesus experienced every test and he won. God knows everything. He's everywhere. He sees every perspective. And Jesus has experienced our pain and he has won. He has conquered. And here in James 1.5, it even says as it relates to wisdom that God gives generously to all of us without criticism. God gives generously to all of us Without criticizing, how awesome is that? He doesn't give it to you and say, all right, now stop, you know, and have this big boatload of criticism. He gives it generously to us. If we are to enter into healing as it relates to trials and temptation that we go through, one of the biggest things that's required is truth. This is one of the biggest principles as you look through Scripture because God doesn't criticize us, but He's honest with us. See, God meets us in brutal honesty because truth is necessary if we are to enter healing. See, a wrong perspective will often put you in the wrong place. Have you ever experienced that? You saw somebody trapped in a situation and they had the total wrong perspective. You had someone that they couldn't get through a hurting relationship because the perspectives were off. See, we need to know as it relates to every trial and every temptation that we go through that, that God is for us. And if God is for us, then who can be against us? See, our desires may have brought us into a situation, but as we have faith in God, God brings us out. Our desires bring us in, but God brings us out because he is the great physician. He is the great healer. But like every doctor, we need to sign a consent form. Have you gone to a doctor recently? Especially if you go to a new doctor, what's the first thing that that new doctor does? They give you forms. Boom. And, so, and sometimes they'll say, you better show up a half hour early because you've got some forms to fill out. That's exciting, isn't it? And one of those forms that are in there is a consent form. Because in order for the doctor to come in to look at you, to evaluate you, and to help you, she needs to have a form that says, yes, I consent. I give you permission to look. Because see, the only patients who don't need that consent form are those that are in a life and death situation where they're unconscious, able to respond and the only course is through a doctor intervening. But let me encourage you not to get to that point. And so many times we back ourselves in a corner where we make ourselves unconscious. Where God is saying, will you come to me? Because see, love does not force itself on us. Love gives us that free choice. Through our faith in God. So my encouragement to all of us as we walk through is that we would willingly sign over. Most of us in this room, we may say, yeah, I've given my life to Christ. But sometimes we walk in a way where we forget. And we struggle because we forget, God, you are sovereign. I give everything to you. But see, you may, you may be here this morning. You may say, well, what about when you're a victim to someone else's 
desire, where you have unwillingly been dragged into a situation, something you never asked for, something you never chose, and something that maybe even in obeying God that you were brought into that trial. I want to remind you of a couple of people this morning. One is Joseph. Remember Joseph? Joseph betrayed by his brothers. Here's Joseph's perspective at the end of that. He said, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive. That even through him being put in a situation, God used that for the ultimate good. Think about Daniel. Daniel went through trials because he obeyed God, because he would not bow down. But Daniel, he trusted the sovereignty of God in every situation. God, I will serve you. I will trust you. Think about the three Hebrew children. Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they were being forced to bow down to the idol. What did they say? They said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar. We do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into a blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Go ahead. I added that go ahead part in there. Do you hear that rising up within them? It's that though they slay me, yet I will praise you. I know the God I serve. I have faith in the God. And whatever happens, I'm not going to bow to your idol. I'm going to serve God. This is what it means. This is where the faith comes from as we go through trials. Because we're not going to understand everything. There are things that have happened in my life, in my friend's life. I have friends and family members, even in this body of Christ today, going through things that I don't have an answer for. But I come back to faith and I say, God, you are God. You are sovereign. You are in control. You see everything. I don't. So I will trust you. And my only hope is that as I bow myself to you, as I trust in you and say, though they slay me, yet I will praise you because you are God and I am not. You have the perspective. I don't have the perspective. You are the miracle worker, not me. So with my kids, with my family, with the body of believers that I gather with, with my city, you are God. Open my ears to hear you. Tell me what to do and I will run and do it by faith. Amen? Is that our heart today? God, whatever you say, whatever you do, I'm not going to look at this trial. I'm not going to look at the things going on, not because I'm ignoring it, but I'm going to look to you because I need you. God, I need you. God, my family needs you. My city needs you. See, God's purpose in us requires that God owns us. Because God is not our puppet. He is sovereign. And it's only as we surrender to him, say, God, you are my God, I will praise you. Amen? Amen. As we respond to this, this life of faith that God is calling us into, and you've heard me say it several times, I believe God is calling us into one of the most exciting seasons. The things that I see God doing, the steps of faith that I feel God calling us to. But you're going to hit temptation, you're going to hit trials, And we need God to say, God, you are my God. I will trust in you. I will trust in you. As we process this today, just a couple 
couple of questions because we need to apply this word. This is a time to look deep. This is a time when God wants to deal with everything that's in your house today. If you'll let him. Dig deep and ask yourself, what trials am I going through? Where am I being tested? God, where am I being tested right now? Where am I saying, why God? What is happening in my life? As I look at that beginning of what I, what I read, count it all joy when you fall in trials. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're going, I'm, God, I'm experiencing the trial part, but I'm experiencing no joy. Why is that? Where are the parts of my life that I need to see your perspective by faith, that you're working all things for the good? You're working all things to make me complete, lacking nothing. Do I believe that? And then ask yourself, or better yet, ask the Lord, Lord, where do I need help? I believe in you, you're my redeemer. But you're sitting today in the body of Christ. I think you've got to look around today and say, God, who you placed in my life to help me? You're my God, but you've brought us together in community. Who do I need to reach out to for help? And the other part of that is, Who's sitting next to me that needs some help? Who needs a brother? Who needs a sister to come in and go, you know what? God's going to get us through this together. God's going to get us through together. As we just take a moment to respond. Father, we thank you for your word that is truth. Your word that is power. Your word that changes us. Your word that is complete in everything. And you pour it into us to transform us. You fill us with your Holy Spirit so we can discern and know you. And even when we don't know how to pray, your spirit shows us and teaches us how to pray. Lord, be alive in us today. As you start us off. That in every situation we would count it as joy. Because you are forming us. You are transforming us. Help us now to respond to your word. In your name, Jesus. Take my life and let it be all for you and for your glory. That's the walk, isn't it? You know, I'll... Growing up as a kid, I'll never forget some of my darkest times, some of my darkest trials that I was going through. I would feel all alone. Depression would come in, be overwhelmed. And then I would hear the tires of my dad's truck pulling in the driveway. And I knew in that moment, everything was gonna be okay. Even before our song, have you ever do that where you, you hear, you know, you have those sounds of people in your life, maybe they're walking through, or maybe you smell the cologne or the perfume of somebody that just, as they're coming in, you're going, man, everything's going to be okay. My friend showed up. That's how it is with God. Joy and trials is that perspective of God. You are with me. You're sovereign. You're over everything. I don't need to monkey with it. I don't need to have my hand in a gourd trying to pull rice out. Let's say this blessing together. This is Aaron's blessing. Say this with me. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face 
to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Give you peace. Okay? Father, we thank you for your peace and your love. Go with my family now as we come alive in you through faith. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.